This breakout session with Jason Upton was recorded at Davis 10, 2018. So, three o'clock, the Helsers are on. So, <clears throat> I want to be there. So, so uh, yeah. So, but I wanted to have the time, and I'm so grateful to be able to share and to encourage you. Um, and uh, so, Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. And there's no place that we go that we can't see we can't see forever from. And so Jesus, thank you for uh, these altars in our lives, these places that every table can become an altar as followers of you, Jesus. We're grateful for that, Lord. So open our eyes, open our hearts. We're worshipers in spirit and truth, not just what we sing, but the activity of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's grateful to be with you. Um, I was in uh, Mexico City, and I, was, um, I, I went for a Bible time just to spend time in the Scriptures and reflect for the day. And get ready for worship evening. And um, uh, some of the guys were still sleeping. So I went down and I had breakfast. And was sitting at a table that was right next to windows from floor to ceiling. And uh, it was just uh, smog and fog. It was just like a gray, big gray window. It almost appeared like if you look at the tent here. And it was just like that. And yet it was a window and I couldn't see anything. And I was reflecting on the passage. Uh, you are the light of the world, right? That's what Jesus says. Um, so just raise your hands right now, just like this. I just wanted to say that over you. You are the light of the world. Just take that in for a moment. I was trying to take that 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 scripture in, and um, I'm sitting next to this foggy window, eating my breakfast, and 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 I said, "Well, Jesus, but aren't you the light of the world? And what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? You're the light of the world. You're the great light of the world. What does it mean for us to be the light of the world? Is are we like the moon and?" You reflect off of us, and then we reflect to the world. And I was coming up with all these ideas, and I just kept hearing him say back to me, no, you're the light of the world. And I kept asking more, but Jesus, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. No, I'm not the light of the world. You're the light of the world, which is true. It's a true thing, but Jesus kept saying back. And all of a sudden, Jesus just went silent and didn't say anything to me. And all that happened was just a little bit of, of, of light. And I know you know this if you live in England because it's happened to me several times here. It's absolute, it's absolute cloudy skies. The wind begins to blow. You put on a jacket. And then all of a sudden... The sun comes out and you're steaming hot and you're ripping off your clothes. 
It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? And so there I am. And it was one of those moments where it was foggy and smoggy in that window. And I keep asking Jesus, what does it mean to be the light of the world? And then eventually he just goes silent on me because I'm not listening. And then I just feel the light of the sun like little fingers on my cheek, on this cheek. And it was almost like they just moved my face towards that window that was smog and fog. It looked like this. And all of a sudden, I see the light breaking through the particles. Have you ever seen that with the light? It's almost, I don't know what's more beautiful, that image or a bright sunny day. And the light is breaking through the particles of the air, which in Mexico City is also pollution and all sorts of things. And it's going through that and it's alighting this small flower on a tree. And I can hardly make it out. And then within the next half hour, as I sat there and others joined me, by the time I finished breakfast with my friends, it was a completely sunny day. And I realized that the whole time I was sitting next to a garden. And just one by one, more flowers began to appear next to us. The sun broke through the particles, broke up, right? Uh, the space next to me, and now I'm not just sitting next to a foggy, cloudy vista. I'm sitting next to a window that looks right into this incredible, beautiful garden. And then I hear the words as I'm walking back to the room, you are the light of the world. So what does it mean for us? It means that... um, the lesser, right, your light shines, the more people can stare at you, right? But the greater your light, they can't even look at you. But what happens? Your light illuminates the world around, right? You become illuminators for the world around. To be the light of the world is not to have everybody's eyes fastened upon you. To be the light of the world is, be, is to be illuminators of the glory of the Lord that fills the world, right? Abraham Heschel used to say it this way, a great Jewish philosopher. He was one of the only, he was one of the guys that you'll see, a Jewish man walking arm in arm with, um, with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, in the marches, and uh, he used to say this, he'd say, the earth is filled with the glory of God, and it's actually too much for humanity to handle, so what humanity does is that he would take that scripture in the passage in the Bible that says, the earth is filled with the glory of God, and one day all flesh will see it together, he would say, the earth is filled with the goodness and glory of God, and it's too much for humanity. So what humanity does is we recreate routines, which by the way, I just want to say this, routines can be very good for child raising and all these things. They're, they're They're good for our lives too. But we create routines because we can't handle the glory of God, right? And those routines become resistance to the wonder and glory of God. So life becomes routine and, re- and the routine becomes resistance to the wonder, right? So the issue isn't whether God's glory fills the earth. God's glory does fill the earth. The issue is our, 
are we allowing ourselves to be illuminated within our days to all the glory that's there? Life can become routine. Worship can become routine, right? Paracleta means the answer to the cry. We can sing a lot, but is there a desperation in our heart, right? When we wake up each morning, do we, do we want to uh, find the glory and the goodness of God, or are we passing by? Are we, are we waiting on the glory and goodness of God, but sleeping through the sunrise? Do you see what I'm saying? Are we passing by that tree that's changing on our way to find the glory of God, right? This is the idea. Life can become routine and routine can become resistance to wonder, even a lot of our spiritual life. So Jesus says, you're the light of the world. I want you to be illuminators of all that is good and glorious among you. So I pray that for you right now. In Jesus' name, open our eyes, Lord, to your glory, to your goodness, to your beauty, to what's around us. Make us illuminators. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just read for you uh, quickly. Um, there's a man named, has anybody ever heard of Wendell Berry? He's written poetry. He's great, incredible agriculturist from the United States, uh, from Kentucky, and is in his late 80s now. Uh, there's a little film that's out on Netflix entitled Look and See. I, I recommend seeing it. The first three minutes alone, will it, it's staggering. Um, but in that movie, he talks about how he, he wrote some 48 books, fiction. He's written books on agriculture, a lot of our food sourcing and farming and sort of the reversal of the, you know, machinery farm that, 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 that literally are, I wrote a song on a new record I did called The Farmer in the Field, and I started out, and it's, you know, and there was a time not long ago when the sun did shine, and the sowers sowed, and the rain did rain, and the crops did grow. It was a time before machinery, a time before certainty, a time before we bought the lie, a time before the farmer died when we had trusting hearts and human soul. It was a time not very long ago, and I, 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 I wrote that song in, in, in prayer and worship after reading his stuff on how we created machinery in America to make our food, and then we found out that the, 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 the desire for certainty and machinery to make our food instead of the beautiful mercy, unpredictable gifts of sunshine and rain, you know, we, we decided, you know what, we can't trust in sunshine and rain, so let's make machinery to make our food, and it felt like a good idea. It would help people, right? Uh, but in the end, what we found out is that our need for certainty was poisoning us, and it's not just in our food sources, it's also in our food sources, our church sources, our worship sources. Our, we're creating machinery out of something that's incredible. It was meant always to be very organic, right? That, uh, uh, anyway, so you get what I'm saying. So anyway, he writes, he tells in this, and I, I actually extracted it from the, from the film, he tells of the place that he built 40 some odd years ago, uh, and he said, I decided I, in my life, he was a Stanford grad and then ended up being a University of Kentucky professor and a writer, and he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a 40-pane window in at my farm. I'm going to farm with my family, 
and I'm going to write from this place, and I'm going to stay in the same place and write every book from this same place. So he put a 40-pane window in, in his office study thing that overlooks the same area, this river, this, this beautiful uh, farmland, and he's sort of in the middle of nowhere, and from that place that some would say is nowhere have come all these amazing poems and all this amazing writing in incredible uh, vision, right? Uh, I would even go so far to say that he's a, a modern-day prophet, right? Not to mention incredible follower of Jesus. So in it, he says, so I, wrote, I made this 40-pane window, and uh, he says, in a sense, what I've done all of my life is hold up an artifact that you can, so to speak, see through against the world. The length of vision from that place is a limitation in me. I want to just say that again. He says, so the length of vision in that place that I created the 40-pane window, it's a limitation in me, not in the place. You can... You can see all the way to the stars from almost any place you are. To live in a place and have your vision confined by it, well, that'd be a mistake, right? Like our cultures, our ways of thinking, our ways, of, right? To live in a place and have our vision confined by it would be a mistake. But to live in a place and try to understand it as a standpoint from which to see and to see from there as far as you can is a proper challenge, I think. You hear that? You hear with me? So the proper challenge is not to run around the world looking for a place where you can see it. The proper challenge is to stay in a place, not be confined by that place, but to actually realize I'm going to stay in this place and actually see as far as I can from this place, right? The proper challenge, a lot of what we do, right, is we're running around looking for where, right, the presence is, the glory is, the wonder is, right? But the proper challenge for us as followers of Jesus is not to find, right, where the place is, but to be in a place, create a 40-pane window, and from that place, see as far as we can. From that, from that marriage, from that church. That, you know, I know I'm poetic, so I know I just automatically go there. My wife, you know what I mean? And I, she's always like, Jay, slow it down. But you see what I'm saying? What, what? For me, that's so expansive. When I'm speaking of farming, I'm speaking about soil tending. I'm speaking about pastoring. I'm speaking about parenting. I'm speaking about being an artist, a musician, a worshiper. To, to run around looking for where God's glory is versus, man, I'm going to be in this remote place and I'm going to see as far as I can from this place. Eugene Peterson says this beautiful about worship. Worship is the sanctification of time and space. That which we look at, live in, treat casually 
and ordinary, right, becomes consecrated into Christian worship so that we see its intimate and eternal meaning, right? So worship gives a heightened significance to the time and space of the ordinary world. We think that the ordinary isn't where God is and wisdom even among those that have followed Jesus for a long time, keep saying, no, 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 no. It's not that the ordinary doesn't have the glory in it. it. There's no limitation in that place that you are. There's no limitation in the place that you are right now. There's no limitation in the place that you are. There's no limitation in that marriage. Most, I mean, there could be a few moments where there's an abusive situation, but there's no limitation in the marriage, in the parenting and being a mother and being a father and raising kids and the job you are. There's no limitation in the place that you are. The limitation's in me. And you can see as far, you can see all the way to the stars from any place you are. Now that's good news, isn't it? This is the kind of stuff we need 90-year-olds preaching to us again. That's why I quote them. Because they're the ones that they got it. They've been following Jesus. And a guy like Eugene Peterson, who's in his 80s, says, hey, oh, by the way, you want to be a worshiper? Begin to sanctify the place and the time that you're in. Find eternity masquerading as time right where you are. Yeah, okay, see. She's had enough. <laughs> you see, can you, if you're writing down, you might want to write that down. Just think about that today. I want to find eternity masquerading as time. I want to find eternity masquerading as something that's mundane. I want to find Jesus, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, masquerading in the mundane routine place of my life today. I want to believe in hope and have faith to see as far as I can from any place, anytime, anywhere. The goal for worship tonight is the same as the goal for worship when you're sitting on your couch in the middle of the night because you can't sleep. I want to see as far as I can from the, right where I am. This is one of the gifts that you have in Europe, Right? Like my friends up in Holland, I was sharing with them a couple of weeks ago when I was sitting at their table. I said, one of the gifts that you all have is that if you move in your nation, you can only move about three hours. <laughs> in America, all of us worshipers and songwriters and everybody, we're all running around, bouncing around, trying to find where the glory is. You guys can only go about three hours. <laughs> it's hardly a climate change. Right? But the gift that you have is you're forced to live in that family you've been given. You're forced to stay in that spot that you were raised in, that you were born in, to find belonging there. Right? To be found there. That we don't find God, that God finds us. So who do we find? We find ourselves eventually if we'll stick around long enough. And who do we find when we find ourselves? We find the one who found us and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. That's the beauty of God, right in the place where you live. And I want to say it again, right in the marriage you're in. There's no better place than where you are right now. So look as far as you can from that place that you are. Write as much as you can. Worship as hard as you can. See, 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 right from where you are. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> She's like... 
Listen to this. Okay, so where is this? It's just, there's so many passages, guys, that you could turn to. But one of them that's in all four Gospels is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Think about this. I mean, this isn't the first time that people have gone to a field in a remote place, right? But I'm so glad that, you know, I'm so glad that I've been to the remote places of England because I always tell my friends that you can't see England if you've just seen London. Does that make sense? You gotta get, you gotta get out of, you gotta get out of the fake light and into the real light, right? You gotta see those stars in the middle of the night. You gotta walk down those roads and listen to those. I was walking down a road today, listening to the, to the owls. It's freaky. I was walking down a road just standing today, and I saw and I heard uh, bees swirling around. I was like, what is going on here? And, you got to get out of London to see England, right? And uh, so Jesus, because we got to get to the Helsers. So Jesus, uh, Jesus, first thing, Jesus hears it to kill John. And he goes off and he goes to be alone and find this space. And he gets on a boat and he goes to this very remote place. Most of the scriptures will 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 interpret that word as a desert place. So Jesus goes to a deserted place, a remote place to be by himself. And the Bible says that the crowd, I'm going to take the Matthew 14 one, but there's so many little details that come up in all four of those gospel accounts of this. There's little details in each one that I love to bring in. Like John's the only one that gives us that it was a boy's little lunch, right? And uh, Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds. You'll find this a lot with Jesus. Because I think a lot of times we think that the promise of the glory and the goodness of God is in the crowd. And Eugene Peterson says, and I love crowds, by the way, uh, but I think sometimes we've glorified crowds, right? But there's, you know, Eugene Peterson says there's, there's three major dangers to the Christian walk with Jesus that you have to be tuned into. One, you know, uh, the sex. Two, the power, right? Those things, right? Well, I think we understand those ones. We speak to those ones often, don't we? But he says, but there's another one, and you find it very consistently in the life and teachings of Jesus. It's the crowd. Be very careful of the crowd, right? Dictating for you. Now we almost have made the crowd the stamp of approval of the glory and wonder of our lives. The crowd can be a very deceptive thing and we gotta be, you got to be kind of careful of the crowd. It's right there in the scriptures. Jesus is moving away from the crowd, but the crowd just keeps following him. And, and he's got 5,000 men. Some people say as many as forty to 60,000, including children and women, followed Jesus to this deserted place. So let's just stay on that for a second. Jesus doesn't get on a boat searching for a promised land. 
Jesus goes to a deserted place and is going to, he makes the deserted place a promised land. You see what I'm saying? Jesus isn't running around looking for the promised land where all the people could be fed. Jesus makes a deserted place, a promised land. People come out by the droves following him to this place that he just wants to be alone. And the Bible says that when they followed him there, Jesus had compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. That's a beautiful, isn't that something? He had compassion and began to teach them many things. If you go to Martin Luther King, the Ebenezer Baptist Church of his fathers that he used to preach at, and you go sit in there in Atlanta sometime, if you're ever there, go, go, my wife and I sat in there for an hour and 45 minutes, and they have reels of tape of Martin Luther King preaching to his church, to his people, to his friends, to families. And what was interesting is we never heard, I've been to the mountain, or I have a a dream, or any of that. The sermons we heard were like, hey, when you go buy a car, don't buy a new car, buy a used car. Just a few miles on it, you know what I mean? And he would just give them this beautiful, practical, (laughs) wonderful, compassionate information. Because he cared for them. And I thought, I, I can't say that that's what Jesus said, but the Bible says that he had compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. I, I'd love to have known, Jesus, what were those many things? And the Bible says that many of them were filled with disease and sickness. And it says that he began to just heal them to such a degree that he was healing them for so long that the disciples came to him to tell him that, that they needed to get going. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? <laughs> so there's Jesus full of compassion, healing all their sickness and disease, caring for them. And then he's so wrapped up in it that the disciples have to come and kind of say, hey, Jesus, these people need to get to where the food is. Now, I want you to understand this. The Pharaoh system, right, teaches us that if you store up enough food and you have a little bit more, you won't have anxiety about the where, where your food's going to come from, right? Walter Brueggemann teaches us that that system was, is one of the things that Jesus was setting the people free from. And what was that? That, no, 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 no. Pharaoh was having nightmares of scarcity even though he had it all. That the more you have, that's not going to get rid of that anxiety. It's where is your source? And Jesus keeps putting people, hey, the source is not in the system of empire. The source isn't how much you store up. If you have a little bit more, you won't be anxious. There are all sorts of systems in our life, right? They could be church systems, family structures, all sorts of things, church structures, The more you have, it does not mean that the anxiety will cease. Pharaoh had, I want you to hear, Pharaoh had it all, and yet he had anxiety. He had had nightmares of scarcity, yet he had it all. He had it all so much that we find in the Bible that Abraham, full of faith during the famine, went to the breadbasket of Egypt, Pharaoh's land, right, to get food. So we're all prone to be hooked by the systems of Pharaoh, whatever Pharaoh you're living under, that that empire can source you. 
It could even be a religious empire. That that can source you. But Jesus says, hey, if they need some food, I love this response. If they need some food, don't send them away. Don't send them back to the city. That is just amazing to me. Like how frustrating must it have been to be a follower of Jesus by the disciples? But the food is in the city, Jesus, and they're hungry and they need to eat. And he says to them, well, then why don't you give them something to eat? Jesus says, well, we don't have enough. Hmm. This is what Jesus says to them. Well, then why don't you, some of the gospels say that they say to him, we only have five loaves and two fishes and it's just not enough. I don't think Matthew says that. It just says we don't have enough. Judgment, isn't that? It's one of the things that Jesus is delivering us from as people of God, even in our day, is to move from judgment, right? From our own judgments to becoming a sacramental people. And what does that mean? It means to receive what's being given from God in the moment, realizing that it's more than enough, right? So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, why don't you bring to me what you say is not enough? Hmm. Is that just me or does that speak to, to you where you're at too? You know what I mean? Jesus, just that alone without me saying this next thing from me. So why don't you bring to me what you say is not enough, judgment. And Jesus says, bring it to me. So they bring what they've already declared is not enough. And this is what Jesus does. This is so amazing for us. Jesus doesn't make it enough according to their standard. Jesus doesn't take what they say isn't enough and make it enough according to their standard of what is enough. Enough in that moment would have been what looks like it could feed all these people. Jesus does something um, so helpful for us as worshipers and followers of Jesus and gift givers. He sacramentally receives what's being given. This is what he does. He says, he takes what they say is not enough and he lifts what they say is not enough up to heaven and he thanks God for what has been given. It's as if Jesus is saying, if this is what we have, it will be enough. If this is what we have, it will be enough. If this is what's been given, it will be enough. We are not going to add it to it. We are not going to make it a smorgasbord. We are not going to, I'm not going to miraculously wave my hand and magically make it enough for you and then you distribute it. No, I'm going to lift it up to heaven and say, if this is what you've given me today, it is enough and it's enough for all these people and it will satisfy and this is what he does. He takes it, he lifts it up to heaven. And then what does he do? He blesses it. 
And don't you, because a sacramental life versus a judgmental life is the beginning of Jesus' life. What happens? His father, before he ever feeds the 5,000 or the 4,000 or walks on water or raises a dead person, he hears the voice of his father say what? You are more than enough. Right now, before you ever do anything, you are my beloved son and on you my favor rests. Raise your hands to heaven. Just receive this over your life. You are a beloved son and daughter of a living God who says you're more than enough and my favor rests on you. I know that when Jesus blessed what was given, right? You were given to us from God as a gift to be distributed to the world. I just want to declare that over you. You were given to us from heaven by God to be distributed to the world. In Jesus' name. Among those of us that are artists, worshipers, singers, pastors, musicians, church workers, right? We're always trying to add to what we have, to the gifts we have, right? I can't tell you how many years I've tried to add to the gift I have. You're trying to add to it. And then, and then eventually you kind of come to a place in your worshiping walk with God where you realize you either have to just receive what has been given to you and distribute that which has been given. And the big surprise is the more you begin to do that, the more you see that when you tried to add to what you have, right? It actually doesn't satisfy. But when you distribute, when you bless, when you break what has been given, it almost always satisfies, right? This is what Jesus does for all of us. He, he takes what's been given he breaks it, he distributes it. And the Bible says that the disciples did the same. They just received, they broke it, and they distributed it to the world around them. And everyone was fed and there were leftovers. This is the goodness of God. Not to add to what you've been given, but to receive what you have. To break it and to, be, and, and to distribute it to the world. So the first thing is the place that you are. The, 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 the proper right challenge for us isn't to, to find a better place. The proper challenge is to see as far from the place you've been given. The proper challenge is to... to uh, to take what you've been given, the gifts that you have, and instead of trying to uh, reform yourself, your image, and make yourself enough or add to yourself to make yourself like something else, right? You just receive what's been given in the moment and receive that that is enough to feed and to satisfy, right? Right? How would that be applied in like really simple ways? I mean, like simple thing would be like 
when I go to foreign nations in the world and they all, right, are just copying American worship music and they have all these amazing instruments, right? And they have all these amazing tones and all these, they are poets for their nation and yet they're singing poets for another nation, right? Receiving what's being given instead of creating formulaic, right? Formulaic art, formulaic worship modes, formulaic this and that. I'm not, sometimes you just have to create a routine and copy something to become good enough to find your own way, right? And I get that. And that's a part of our development. But it's also something that has to be said. Hey, you've got a song to sing. You've got a place from which you write. You've got a space. There's food that's been given, right? And, and we need to receive it instead of the words of judgment that are spoken that you just aren't enough. I declare over you that you're already more than enough. And Jesus says, oh yeah, so somebody says you're not enough? Well, why don't you bring your not enough to me And what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise your not enough to heaven and I'm going to thank my father for it. And I'm going to declare that this not enough is more than enough to feed and satisfy the hunger of everyone here. This is this. That's your proper challenge. Just raise your hands. That's the challenge. It's not making yourself like anyone you see here leading worship. Everyone that I know here has got to cry knowing that they have to simply be what God has created and called them to be, to see as far from their place as they can see. It's the proper challenge for all of us not to copy, not to create form, but to trust that the Holy Spirit is already given enough and that enough is also in you, brothers and sisters. And I say that, I declare it over you. It's in you. It's what you think isn't enough. And often the thing I think I should hide away is the very thing that needs to come out and be seen in the light. And God, once we start living not according to judgment and judging everything, well, that's not worship, well, that is, well, this is, that's not, that really touched me. Wow, that was moving. Maybe I should copy this or maybe I should. The proper thing is illuminate. Become seers. Become people who have vision. Oh, I can see the glory of God in that. Wow, that just, that just, whew, that just expanded my understanding of where Jesus is. Because we're going to go and see the Helsers in just a second. <laughs> and maybe, maybe Melissa is going to, maybe she'll till up some, ground but she certainly has in the past maybe she won't how many times have we been blessed by Melissa taking what she's been given that many could even see right in a negative light and she illuminates it and from the soil of that life gives us a song of praise Instead of pushing it away or trying to change it, she allows the flowers in the garden to grow from that space and it transforms our lives, doesn't it? And you have that same gift. Take what's been given, boom. Amen? This garden's going to grow. Yep. If she's the lady that says amen, I've, I've only said two good things. Well, 
I have one last little thing I want to say because I only have one little talk with you and I want to pour it out, right? And then I'll be done. So, being overlooked, being unknown, being th- these things, right? It can almost make us a judgmental people where we look at things and we standardize them of their worth, their value. God wants to transform us. I mean, Jesus came and all through the gospels, he's transforming where we can find God, right? Where we can find the glory, right? I mean, that woman comes in right to the, in Luke, in the gospel of Luke, I'm just thinking of it right now. I can't remember what passage it is. Maybe it's six or, oh man, what a, what a story. And there the Pharisees are and they're dictating in judgment. Oh, if this was a prophet of God, he'd see that this woman that's come in here, she's, she's a sinner, right? <laughs> and Jesus says the most amazing thing. Have you even seen her? It's different than the other passage where they're all going to cast stones and he says, he who's without sin, cast the first stone. And then he says, hey, go and sin no more. In this passage, Jesus doesn't say go and sin no more. What he says is the woman who's been defined by judgment as a sinner, right, is giving gifts to Jesus to such a degree that he says, do you even see this girl? So the the Pharisees have defined what, prophecy is good prophecy is being able to define for the world what is right and what is wrong what is bad and what is good and Jesus says do you even see her I already know that she's forgiven because of what she's doing you're not a prophet because you can't see that she's a sinner (laughs) No, no 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 prophecy is that I can see what she is When nobody else can see what's going on, we see what's going on, right? And I think it's wonderful that the Lord just keeps us all in this place. So if you want to be a slanderer or you want to be a gossip or you want to create rumors, right? And you want to do all those things, you go right ahead and do it. But this is not the Jesus way. That's an antichrist way. The way of Jesus is to see what's actually happening. And this is the beauty of it. It's all messed up. Because it actually requires every morning getting up to pray, every morning rising and saying, God, illuminate my eyes to really see the world around me. I am dependent on you to live in your way. It's not a system, right? It's an attitude. It's a heart. It's a humility. How do you know you're humble? That you can still be surprised. So here we are. We have a standard within Western culture and probably all over the world. I just can only speak from Western culture that to be seen, to be known, right? This is a standard that makes you creative, that makes you have value, that makes you useful. But John 1.10 says, that the creator of the entire world, listen to this passage, Jesus was in the world. The entire world 
was made through him. The world did not know him. I want to just say that again. He was in the world. He created everything you see in the world. And yet, the world did not know him. Now, there's all sorts of ways you can preach that passage. But none, the least of which is not, hey, if you're creative, you'll be known. The creator of the universe walked among us and we didn't even recognize him. He was in the world, he created all of the world, and yet the world did not know him. I want to read you something from Henry Nouwen and then pray for you, and then we'll close and go see the Helsers. Okay. We know, listen to this, really, just bear with me, I know I've talked a long time. We know intuitively that everything that moves us by its delicacy, its uh, vulnerability, and pristine beauty can stand only very little public exposure. The mass media, which magnify creativity and intimacy, and I want to just push on this because that's not just a thing in the world, right? A lot of church culture is mass media culture, right? And so now, I mean, he's writing this in the 60s and 70s, but now we have this within our culture and just it's not that that's bad media makes things immediate right so it's a beautiful thing that I can immediately hear a new song from a friend or right these are beautiful things that can help us the danger of it is that the mass media which magnify creativity and intimacy are proof of that what is precious and sacred in hiddenness often becomes cheap and even vulgar when exposed to the public at large by the mass media. Publicity standardizes, hardens, and not infrequently suffocates what it exposes. Many great minds and spirits have lost their creative force through too early or too rapid exposure to the public. We know it, we sense it, you guys sense it? We know it. We sense it. But we easily forget it because our world persists in proclaiming the big lie that to be unknown is to be unloved. Or to be unknown is to be unuseful. Or to be unknown. No. Jesus, thank you that you, creator of the world, came into this world and we didn't even recognize you. That to be unknown is not to be not useful. To be unknown is not to be unloved. And thank you because of you, we're seen because of family, because of places of belonging, we're seen. 
and those places of fragility and those places of vulnerability in us, Lord. May they not be suffocated. May the fire and the flame of love inside each person here not be put out. Thank you, God, for the air that you give to that fire, even right now. Over each of you right now, in Jesus' name, air to the fire inside you. Thank you, God, that you see us, that you know us, that you hear us, that the world will be transformed by worshipers in spirit and truth spread out throughout the world just every day waking up and in the soil of their lives singing a song, praying a prayer, illuminating the beauty, the glory, Jesus, thank you that that's what you're raising up in the world. That this garden is growing and it won't be stopped. That you are the seed that was planted in the soil and it is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and and it will not be overtaken. Thank you, Jesus. There's no stopping the garden of the kingdom of God. I pray it'll spread in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Davis Tent and how you can get involved, check out davistent.net.